Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Licton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Asa for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now, on to the episode. Cool, guys. Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. Um, I thought we'd do a school closures episode. We've actually done four of these before. This is actually number five. I only realized when I checked. And the first one was our most popular episode ever by a long way of all, of all the podcasts. And then we've had a precipitous decline after that. I think, <laughs> so I want to retain some of the former glory. The first one got picked up by, by the IB. Do you remember that? The International Baccalaureate featured it as one of their reference points for dealing with lockdowns and teaching and stuff. So we had a lot of people uh, listen to that, which was really cool. But I think we've had really good feedback on the other episodes. So uh, first of all, welcome back, Tim. Um, hi, hi. We had a few different people on these, but Tim, uh, Tim and Jason were uh, mm. the first couple. I'm just trying to add Jason now. And then, oh, Jason's here, great. And then James, uh, who's my colleague at Apps Events, who I don't think you've been on any of these episodes yet, have you, James? Uh, I think I was one of the first couple. can't remember that. I've been on a few episodes with you, Dan. I'm not really sure. Yeah. That one. Exactly, exactly. Cool, guys. So, I mean, just, just a quick casual catch-up, really. What this, the format of this episode was, we just talked about, you know, the lockdown situation, you know, what changes everyone's made at the schools and everything, both in technology and, you know, mental health, everything. And then... Um, we, we, we came back at different times when different things were happening. Schools were opening and closing again. So we haven't done it for a while. And um, we've now got a lot of changes in the world. Obviously, Asia is still fairly locked down in places, in and out of lockdown. Europe and the US are fairly open. So just wanted to have a catch up. So um, long introduction. But yeah, uh, first of all, Tim, how's, how's it going in Hong Kong? What's, what's the latest situation there? Yeah, hey, Dan. Hi, everyone. It's so currently in school. It's been as I've heard a few times mentioned here, it's like a roller coaster. Um, and sometimes we don't know if we're at the top or at the bottom, what have you. But at the moment, I feel we're on the way down in a, in a, in a positive way. So we're back in school now. We have been for about a week. We've just come in off a 14-week school closure and where everyone just pivoted back online for the fourth time we've done it. Um I remember that first, that first conversation we had, we were thinking, oh, this will only last six, seven weeks or something. But um, that's... That See, was how, how is that like? I mean, is, is it... What's the general... I mean, the first question, I guess, jumping in anyone else, what's the general feeling among the staff? Because 14 weeks is a long time, and we talked about it before. In Hong Kong, people live in pretty small apartments. Most people, you know, unless you've got a lot of money. So, I think, I think like, the, what's, what's it just like? The, the city itself, the lockdown was if I can call it a light lockdown, as in there were just restrictions. You could still go out for food. Restaurants were closing at six. I'm the same as yourself, Dan. Got young family. Six o'clock, we're ready for home anyway. Um, so it's yeah. that idea that we could still enjoy that. We could we could go out for coffee and things. So that aspect of, of life could continue. Just schools were closed. Um, the first time we went online, it was a bit of a novelty. It was a bit of an excitement. Um, what does this look like? Um but this time it was a definite change of feeling in the sense that we know students, children are missing out. We, di we didn't want it at all and we couldn't wait to get kids back. And even the excitement when we came back was different. Kids were so excited to be back in, on campus where before there'd been an aspect of fear unknown of coming back together as a community. But this time, no, it, it, was, it was people just wanted to, to try and get back to some sort of normality. Yeah, I mean, Hong Kong's been one of the strictest places in the world, hasn't it? I mean, I think obviously Australia, China, you know, that, there's not many other countries that are that level of, of, lo of strictness on the lockdown. I mean, as, as I said, we've continued our life as normal, really, for a couple of years. The only thing that we weren't able to do is travel. And at the yeah. beginning, that, that started to take its toll. Um, but at the beginning, it was fine. We could continue with life and everything. Um, so there was never, ever a a harsh harsh lockdown um yeah the big the big one was schools schools are closing were you were you going in were you going to work and working from school or were you, were you at home most of the time 
to begin with, yeah, we were going into school and everything. I found myself personally, I was more productive. I got more more stuff done in school. Um, again, yeah. with a young family at home, it's different. But then the, the actual government recommended work from home for everyone. So right. all, all um, government officials, anything that was office-based, they encouraged people to work from home. And as soon as that was recommended, that's when school, school followed suit then. Great. Yeah. What about, what about you, Jason? How's things in uh, South Korea? Hey man. Yeah. I hope you guys can hear me. Okay. Sorry about the video, (laughs) but um, so actually um, a little different from what Tim's experience, we have been in some form of, I guess you'd call it hybrid or distance learning for 26 months. Um, And so I would say in the last six weeks, we've been allowed to go back 100% to school. But yet we also are on the back end of the spike and they've opened up. We, in fact, this week was all restrictions in the whole country were lifted except masks. And so all the gatherings could happen again. Everything could happen except we still have to wear masks, of course, around. And so but we still have kids out. And so they're they're sort of video chatting into, to, you know, and watching the lessons take place at school, but we are back in school um, 100%. And I don't think we'll ever <laughs> go any other way at this point, just because that's the government's like, we're, we're kind of done with this. We want to move on. Um, but we do have a very, very high vaccination rate and boosters. And there's people have been getting their, their second booster now, uh, the older folks. So I think that's a part of it too, is there's been community buy-in to, you know, the, um, the effectiveness of the different things. And so even my young, my young son is getting his vaccines now. And so, yeah, things are, are better. I would say people have really pushed to get back in school. Um, but yeah, just like Tim, it was a lot of excitement once we could get back online on, on campus. Um, and it was disappointing when we couldn't be. So yeah, <laughs> that's kind of where we are, man. That's kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah. John, John, how's it going? Just got joined by okay, John. Mixler, sorry, I, I, I saw a meat click, so I went to the meat <laughs> No problem at all. John, good good time for you to join in. Perfect time, because we're just talking about uh, the lockdowns and things and what the situation is in the different countries uh, in Hong Kong and, and um, in South Korea. And you're in Luxembourg. What, what's the situation with, with schools and everything there over the past past few months? I think it's, it's fairly, fairly open now, isn't it? We're just back to normal. Uh, as of last carnival break, we stopped having to wear masks. They passed a law you don't have to wear masks anymore, except in public transport, uh, medical centers, physiotherapists, and uh, senior citizens' homes. Interesting. James, what about uh, Thailand? Obviously, um, you're involved with a lot of schools, with apps events. What, what, what are you seeing there with, with the schools now? It's uh, Thailand's been kind of up and down, hasn't it, in terms of opening yeah, up the person? Thailand's followed a similar model, I think, to Korea. So you still have a mask mandate. Schools are hybrid learning. But I think a lot of the, well, the international schools got back to hybrid learning in probably October of 21. But a lot of the Thai schools have been closed for over 18 months, the Thai national schools for over 18 months. Um, That's just so almost un- un- unimaginable, isn't it? And, what, and how, have they, been, have they been doing any teaching or have they, what, what, does it vary from school to school and teacher to teacher? What, what's your impression of the local Thai schools? Well, yeah, it varies very much depending on school to school. I mean, I mean Thailand has got, I mean, really, you have Bangkok, you have major cities are very, very different to the country areas. So outside of Bangkok, I think those schools are really struggling with putting material together. Whereas schools in Bangkok, they obviously have better internet. Um, teachers are more better trained, have got more resources. What they found was they started putting out um, lessons online for students nationally, so nationwide, and they were doing this on TV and on um, via the internet. And I found that a lot of students in rural areas didn't have access to a TV and didn't have access to the internet either. So really, it's a, it's a tale of two, two worlds in Thailand. I think if you're in Bangkok, you're very well catered for. But outside of that, it, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I can't, I can't imagine that. Because I know, I mean, even some Western countries, I mean, in the US, like I know California, the school stayed closed for, I don't know if anyone knows how long it was, but it was a long, long time. All They're the open again, Dan. I know they, are, they are open again, but they stayed closed a lot longer than the other states, didn't they? Absolutely. I think till the end of last uh, October, my nephew is at San Francisco High School, and I think 
he, yeah, I think after Christmas, they came back face to face. But before that, some schools were still online. I think it depended on the state, maybe. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Bar- Bahrain at the moment. I was actually at St. Christopher's uh, School um, this morning. And, and here, everything's open. No masks anywhere. Uh, well, everything's not open because it's Ramadan, but that's a different. That's not COVID-related. Um, but it's um, no masks. Um, everything's normal. And the UK as well. I was in the UK recently and uh, in London for Bet Bet Show. And the only time I wore a mask was on the plane. I got off the plane in the airport. No mask. No mask on the tube. No mask in the Ubers. No mask at the trade show. There were some people wearing masks, but um, I'd say 90, 95% weren't. So. So the picture's a lot brighter. Everyone, all of us are actually not in lockdown. All of us, the first time ever we've run this call with nobody in any kind of <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> what, what about, what have people found? Um, and guys, jump in. This is a very casual chat. So like, you know, I, you know, I don't want to dominate this. But um, what have people got in terms of like plans for, for, for hybrid learning and for, you know, potential returns to lockdown? I know... It varies from school to school. Like, for example, in the UK, all schools have to have a plan for um, contingency teaching for lockdown and hybrid. What do you all have? Have you all got plans now for, for lockdown or for, for also for a hybrid situation? Or are you forgetting about a situation where you might have kids in the class and kids at home? So, yeah, I'm just, just keen to find out what, what, what you're all thinking and, and how, what your latest plans are for the future. Now, John, do you want to jump in first? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we have uh, we have a lockdown policy. We have a hybrid and we have all this good documentation and a lot of uh, stuff has been adapted based on parent feedback, student feedback. I think we're far better positioned to come back into this situation again. We've learned a lot. I think just the capacity to listen to parents and staff and students which maybe we didn't at the beginning really leveraged uh, the, the flexibility. And I think the more meaningful learning that occurred uh, from that point. So I think for us, we're hoping to be back to normal. I mean, we are now, whatever normal is, uh, you know, we're definitely the Ukrainian crisis. We've taken on Ukrainian students. That is a new thing that's kind of percolated up. And I think a lot of people in Europe are, uh, you know, there's a bit of edge and, you know, we're kind of shifting our COVID task force team now as a crisis management team. And we're trying to accommodate the Ukrainian community here in Luxembourg as best as we can with having kids coming to our school, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for us, you know, we have these plans. Uh, Definitely we'll be going back and looking at them, but we feel that we're in a position if that should happen again, we've learned a lot and we're maybe more nimble and are going to be more mindful of how that feedback loop is critical because every situation will be different. We won't have COVID again, but we'll have something. I think that's the nature of the world that we live in with climate change is that, the, the, as the economist said, predictable unpredictability. That's what we can, uh, we're trying to strategize for. What does it look like to be a school, a school when you're guaranteed there's going to be unpredictability keep coming to you. And how nimble and flexible are you? John, are you trying to do any hybrid teaching in the sense of like, if, if a child has COVID, they, they can join via me and you'll have, you know, using smart boards or whatever. Are you, are you going that far or are people either in the class or if, if they're out for any reason, they're, they're, they get their materials? So- Currently, because there, if you have COVID, the isolation has changed completely. But what we were doing, we had a tipping point. If we had X amount of students out in isolation, then we would flip to online learning. And we actually assigned an educator to coordinate that. But we use Seesaw and Schoology. So even prior to COVID, we had the culture of kids going to Seesaw and Schoology. Seesaw is a uh, LMS really targeted to younger kids and Schoology is another LMS. So we already had a culture of people when people are absent or they maybe we have some kids that are in sports and they might have a sporting training program that doesn't allow them to always be at school. Teachers are very good with that. So I think there is was already a culture. We definitely got much better at it. And I think yeah. we understand it's far more complex 
but right now we're not doing anything special. And if a kid is absent, they can always go to their Schoology. Uh, How does You said it, so if, if a certain percentage are off, then you switch to online. So let's say 50% of the class uh, are off. So we, go we, hybrid, go over, we go to hybrid. We go to hybrid. The rest of the children come into the class with their laptops and the, and the teaching and the teacher's there. Yeah, yeah, okay, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. But we're not doing that now. That was during COVID. We have, or we're not doing that currently because we don't have, uh, the isolation rules have changed. So it's not as demanding on absences. Yeah. Hmm. Great. Tim, what about you? Um, yeah, but uh, echo what John mentioned about feedback. I mean, when this happened back in 2020, February 2020, it hit Hong Kong. It was completely unprecedented. We didn't know what we were really getting into. So it was all, and it was more, it was, we had a week to prepare. So that's completely changed with every wave, as we're calling it here. And um, we, we reflect on how it went, again, taking on teachers, student, parent feedback, looking at how to change and things like that. Um, and then that unpredictability, then we that's one thing we've definitely learned how to adapt quickly. We've, we've literally done it in the last two weeks again, where we've gone into this semi-hybrid model where we've got two or three students from each class missing. So we're looking at ways of accommodating them. We're actually getting them into the classroom as well um, on, on a Google Meet with teachers and providing, um, we used Google Classroom and, and also Seesaw resources for them to work 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 on at home. Um, when it comes to plans for the future, um, we're, we're, want, we're trying to encourage us and get as many students back on campus as possible. Um, but the idea then of you mentioned if someone's off with COVID, well, what happens if it's they've got they're off for surgery for two weeks? So we look, we're, we're having that conversation at the moment because we're not wanting if, if the students off sick, even that sickness is are they able to participate? Are they not able to participate? So there's so many variables to 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 consider there. At the moment, our focus is students are back on campus. We haven't seen them for four months. We're really trying our best to to accommodate them and support them not just with curriculum, but with everything that's going on. And at the moment, we're just trying to get students in the classroom so there's eyes and ears so they can feel part of the community. Because it's almost a, a, a we're, we're starting the community building process again. It feels like it's September the 1st because we haven't seen students for so long. Um, and those pre-primary grade one, grade two students have never had proper school. Mm. They've mm -hmm. never, our grade three students have not been part of an elementary school. Um, so it's it's bigger, bigger than <laughs> just like we're going to do this. We really have to take our time and see. Yeah, I think that's yeah. kind of amazing to think that you have a cohort of kids, which is you know you think of schooling as kind of just everybody has that experience, you know, going to the classroom, walking to school, or whatever. That's just amazing. Uh, I, I love the way you guys are talking about. You said. Uh, September 1st, we're building, it's like September yeah. 1st, we're rebuilding the community. That's very powerful. Mm. I, I was chatting to one of our PE teachers and he had a grade two students and they just came into the arena, the sporting arena, and they just walked in and he said it was like lambs just walking in. They'd never been in that environment. Mm -hmm. So where they'd normally say, right, there's a basketball, there's a football, they didn't know how to do that. So it's mm -hmm. that whole skill building of collaboration teamwork communication none of this is this is non-curricular stuff this is stuff now that we're really mm -hmm. having to build and and we're lucky as a, as a school as a community we're focusing on that um mm -hmm. to hopefully build up those skills to come next september the first we're slightly in a better position so what happened to hong kong the government announced some kind of fairly bizarre last minute thing they were going to switch to summer holidays to be like five months early did they back yeah there was a bizarre 48 hours where this announcement had been made and then international schools got together and said, look, we can't do this because there's so many things involved with IP, with IGCSE, with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. students needing to do certain things by a certain date to go on to college and, and things like that. So they were then exempt. So we continued, we continued with online as we were doing, doing before. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. What are... Um... Yeah, in Bahrain is interesting. I think I mentioned this to some of you before. Um, here, the, the government made a law that all, uh, at least in the state schools, I think in the international schools, that every lesson has to be taught hybrid. So every teacher has to have, be ready for you know children who can't make it. And I believe the children can even decide from lesson to lesson if they 
come or not, or they, or they go from home. So I can't even remember. We, we, we were talking to one school, helping them out. We were just giving them some advice on using using Google Meet and, and how it could work with projectors and things like that. But that would be a tough. Uh, has anyone any, anyone heard of any schools doing mm-hmm. doing something similar to that? I've never heard anything <laughs> like that. No. <laughs> I think the hybrid was definitely the thing that teachers found the most challenging. We Mm -hmm. had this rotation, AB rotation for a while. And I know our lower school primary teachers, and rightly so, because they had 50% of the kids in the class and 50% at home and just toggling between the two. And almost you had to create almost two different lessons, even though they were all together, uh, you know, virtually or non-virtually. So I think that really requires a lot of uh, mm. support and just emotionally and physically, I think it's quite demanding on teachers. Yeah, definitely. It's a tough and, ground as well, because if you, then all of a sudden you may have a family say, look, we're going to head down to Phuket for two weeks because it's cheaper <laughs> for us to travel at this moment in time because we know you offer a hybrid model. Mm-hmm. So we're going to yeah. jump on that. It can get really, it's gray area at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that, And John mentioned if, covid this if you've got covid well what if you've just got the flu or you've just got you've twisted your ankle or it's raining this morning so i'm going to stay at home and i'll jump online it, it's, it's again it's unprecedented it's interesting it's, you you mentioned the Phuket thing uh, i was actually reading an article last night about um there's a big rise in these online international schools i actually mm-hmm. told actually met a guy in prague recently who's, who's founded one of them and um a lot of families now i think well just because i think it all came in the, in the uncertainty, they were like, well, I'll just, we'll just do this and we can, you know, live somewhere else, whatever. And, and a lot of, uh, I actually know two people now whose kids are in online online international schools. And then, you know, the parents are making an effort to get them in local spot. And I, I wonder if that's going to continue if we go to a sort of post-COVID world or if, if there'll be an increase in, in parents saying, look, I'll do the homeschooling, invite an online school and I'll organize that extracurricular activities mm. myself. What do you guys think? <laughs> I think that's a possibility, Dan. I mean, I think that there's um, a lot of really high quality online institutions out there. um, And I think they rose sort of to prominence during this time. And I think the thing you're missing, though, is that social interaction. I mean, I was I was I'm kind of somewhere between where what John's talking about, what Tim's talking about, because I was talking to my grade tens um, this week and we said, you know, their last real school year was grade seven. Uh, because the last three years have been interrupted and started and restarted. And they were actually kind of mind blown <laughs> to think that because they were like, wow, actually, yeah, I was in the middle of middle school when the last time I had a full school year without some interruption. And so I think, you know, similar situation to what Tim's talking about, what John's talking about. We've had to have this conversation of a student decided that their parents decided to take them to Spain for two months and then do they, you know, do they get credit for time they weren't there? Do they, can they get exempt, you know, can they retake the test? All these different things. I mean, it's, we're getting into some pretty murky water actually uh, because, you know, the child didn't really have a chance and opportunity to say one way or the other and heck yeah, they want to go to Spain, right. <laughs> or whatever. So, I mean, I think I'm kind of in that same boat, but yeah, the online presence of schools is, but there's a lot of bad ones out there too. I think that's probably part of the problem. They're definitely, yeah, you can read online. I mean, I mean, even the one, the guy I met in Prague, I'm not sure how great his school is, to be honest. There's definitely a huge, but it, it's got to the point now, I'm getting adverts on, maybe because my you know, children are sort of you know, school age now, I'm getting adverts on YouTube for online international schools, like it's pre-roll ads. I mean, it's got to the point when they, it's becoming a, a big thing, you know. Well, uh, Khan Academy just released World School. I don't know if you saw it with the Arizona State University. Yeah. So it's a global school. Uh, that will be launched. It's called Khan World School. So basically, uh, as I watched him talk about, there was so much demand and basically they're very likely going to replicate some of the Khan Academy pedagogic structures, but make it a school. And Arizona State University, I think, will give some accreditation or something. And so I think what you're saying is the market is there. Uh, I know the International School of Bern in Switzerland, they have a... uh, online school and their uh, brick and mortar school interesting yeah i know i know like even even harrow you know the independent school in the uk is doing online uh, igcses and a levels now and they've got a whole thing it's, it's very expensive to register for but that, you know so even the kind of the, the brand name schools are getting into this i mean 
Personally, for, for me with children, I can't imagine anything worse unless I absolutely had to do this. <laughs> I would hate it. <laughs> but I know for some people. Um, I'm wondering, to hear. Uh, Tim, on, in, in, in Asia, are schools thinking about having an online component long term? So they're saying we provide the brick and mortar, but guess what? As an added value to our offerings, we have an online version that you can tap into. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, our school is part of the Cognitive Schools group, so they, they've set that up now, um, targeting Chinese market as well. Uh, the, there's a, they've got a couple of courses, a couple of schools that are focused on developing English levels, <laughs> with then the hope of getting them into um, a Cognitive School in the region. Um, oh. some, I know some in North Anglia as well. So I think it's almost like race to the moon, isn't it? I think all these schools groups now have noticed that there's a definite potential for this um i've seen adverts from from people looking for for teachers as well online and and they're selling it look you can work from anywhere in the world and everything like that so they're looking for people to build programs and stuff but no i know cognito here that's what they, they, they've put one together and i think they're doing one in europe as well john that's i just strange. sorry James. yeah yeah, I just picked up SoCon World School. Halfway down their page, they say, what type of student is this school designed for? And they say, highly engaged, self-driven, and enthusiastic. What percentage of students is <laughs> that really cater for? Not, not my children. There might be a parent behind them that's highly engaged because their bank balance will be better. I think that's where the yeah. engagement might come. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, back to what Tim was just saying, because no, Tim, you worked in Thailand before as well. And so, I mean, I've been in Thailand for 20 years and we've had closures due to floods shutting down Bangkok for three to four months. We've had several political coups where the army was on the street for several months as well. And so Thailand education is kind of be in this mindset already of having these big shutdowns. If you look, and John, you mentioned about climate change, Philippines, obviously having typhoons and even Hong Kong, you have uh, what is it, red warnings or black warnings? Yeah, we have the, the red and amber rain, black rain, but also the typhoons then. Yeah. So I think a lot of schools in Asia are kind of familiar with this, with, with these examples already. The, the other thing which is interesting is, um, because like the last time we spoke, I mean, it was, uh, I don't I think it was maybe eight months ago. And, and then we were talking about, it was a trend people were talking about where a lot of international school enrollments were going down. Teachers were saying they didn't want to return. You know, they had too much, too much, time away from family. Um, but that's all reversed. There was an, a couple of articles recently. One was an ISC report that just came out, which is record enrollments for international schools. I and mean, if you look, especially in the Middle East, it's it's uh, the highest it's, it's ever been. And in Asia, apparently, most countries have full enrollment. And there's even new schools opening now in China. So it's that's what's been a strange reversal for me, which I, I thought this was potentially going to sort of reduce the growth or reduce the size of the international school sector. But it's actually gone the other way, which is which is kind of bizarre. I'm wondering if those uh, movements are because maybe international schools, infrastructure-wise and with online learning, are, are more nimble and adapt than the local systems. And parents right. are realizing that to leverage that their kids' education, they might be better off going to an international school that has more aptitude, you know, and maybe not some of the challenges that local public schools have. I'm just curious. Yeah, I can add to that, John. Yeah, yeah, Jay, Preeb over at NIST. yeah Jay Preeb over at NIST, he said exactly that. Their enrollments were skyrocketing for that very reason. They wanted mm. a school which which had a very strong plan for hybrid or online learning. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we had record number of enrollment uh, applications this year. Um, for a very few spots. I think, too, you have to take into account a lot of the governments of some of these countries are allowing um, more attendance. So I know when I lived in China, there were certain restrictions. And now there's a lot of these, quote unquote, bilingual schools that are coming up in China. And yeah. so I'm, I know Tim definitely knows what I'm talking about there. And so what it is that those those are local students who are allowed to go to a, quote unquote, international style education. Um, a lot of them are boarding schools and that kind of thing. So those numbers are growing, but I think it's a little deceiving because it's not the traditional growth of international schools like expats moving into countries for other kind of work. I think a lot of it is, like you said, folks that are wanting a different kind of education for their students, right? And so, yeah, definitely. I know the growth is pretty astronomical here in Korea. Yeah, well, I think that's um, 
that's new. The other thing is ISC report was saying, I mean, we talked with Denry Machin on this podcast, who's an expert in kind of the business of international schools. And that kind of, you know, view of, of the expat being the main parent in international mm. schools is kind of long gone. It's mostly, I think it was 80% or 80 something percent local families now. But a lot of these new schools are kind of mid-tier schools, you know, lower, lower fee income, mm-hmm. which, which I personally think is a great thing. It's given that, you know, same opportunity to parents who are not, you know, you know, a lot of international school kids either the parents' companies paying for it or they're a higher income family. Whereas this is a case of, you know, a lot of kind of more mid mid fee level, which gives gives a lot of the international uh, international mindedness and things you can get from international school to to lower I think it's also the socioeconomic change as well. That shift with the expat community was predominantly Europeans or Americans. That's definitely changing. There's a big shift in that. There's a new new generation of wealth in Asia where I, I can imagine James with you there's a lot of Thai families now who are able to send their, their children to international schools it's happening here in Hong Kong oh, yeah. um, that idea of they're, they're wanting to offer jobs for local people upskill local people so they're now in a position and they're in companies that are offering schooling and things like that so I think it's a just a, a trend globally of, 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 of how the wave of money has been moving around yeah, I think there's, in general there's a bigger yeah there's a bigger piece here as well i think a lot of um jobs which traditionally went to expats are now being handed yeah. to mm-hmm. local yeah. hires who have studied at international schools mm. or have studied at colleges in the us or the uk or wherever around the world and now they're taking up locals are taking up these positions and now they're looking to yeah. get their kids educated to the same level definitely yeah, here they call it um or something like that. So they, it's actually a policy of the government to reduce the number of expats um, and to get mm. local people in, into positions. So, you know, there's even like quotas and things on, you know, how many expats per, per local hire you mm-hmm. have. And, and, you know, again, the schools here are all, you know, predominantly, um, predominantly um, local. And actually a lot of interesting, a lot of other, a lot of, a lot of Indian schools and a lot of uh, Filipino schools as well. So sort of non, I mean, you've already started mm. to see like, you know, it was always British or American or IB curriculum, but now you obviously, start, then you started to see Canadian, Singapore curriculum, Australian, but now you're seeing a lot more of the kind of Indian, Indian uh, and, and Filipino, the other kind of English language uh, curriculums, which is interesting. Uh, we have an anomaly in Luxembourg where the government, the Ministry of Education is opening international schools. So yeah. there is the local uh, lycées, which is the Luxembourg curriculum, but they've now opened five or seven international schools doing some of them doing IGCSC, others doing the European baccalaureate and their full fledged international schools, English speaking curriculum that are free. And mm-hmm. so because what Luxembourg has to do to keep its pension Going, it needs a two and a half percent population increase over a certain amount of years. And what they're finding, and I think Tim and James alluded to it, is many of the expats that are coming in, the companies are not giving 36,000 or whatever it might be uh, for fees. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is also a really attractive thing that the government's doing to attract that skill set, uh, the tech and the finance and all those other things, and providing international schools that are free. You can imagine what that's like when you're one of the few for-profit or not non-profit but fee-paying schools and your competition doesn't charge anything. So uh, that's a whole other conversation. It's fascinating. I mean, that, that would make a difference. I mean, if someone like me who's you know paying for international school fees now, like that would be a huge reason to go live in Luxembourg, you know, like to actually get, to actually get, if it was, if it was at the same level as like a ISL kind of education for free, that, that that's a phenomenal deal. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. I think you alluded to it and, and is that this, and I thought, Tim, you did a lovely job of explaining that shift is that there is a, you know, what may be, when I was a child and there were international schools, they were small, usually it was IBM, Shell or GM or whoever it might be, Nestle. And, and that has changed so much. And I think, you know, that the dynamic is so, so different than, say, even 10, 15, 20 years ago. And especially with a lot of these companies, for example, you were mentioning your organization, Cognita, that are, you know, have flagship schools around the world, outstanding education, outstanding educators, uh, but, you know, a different approach. 
Tim, I've got a question for you because I'm, I'm interested about the school groups. Obviously, you work for um, this Cognita, there's Nord Anglia, Gems, a bunch of these schools. How, how are you feeling? Have they, have they made like global policy? This is how you deal with, um, you know, remote teaching or just every school just leaves it to figure it out themselves? <laughs> Yeah, it's every school to a certain extent, but then there's guidance and support from other schools. And I think that the main reason for that is we're just on different trajectories or on different timelines of how Vietnam looks compared to Thailand, compared to Singapore in this region, let alone Europe. I know we, we supported some European schools because we seem to be like three or four months um, <laughs> Are we ahead or behind? I'm trying to think. So we went into lockdown before. So we had the European school right, contact, yeah. contacting us saying, what were you doing? What, how did you do it kind of thing? Um, but when it comes to policies, it, it's down to the school. So I think there's so many variables. Mm, the when, context when, is huge. Yeah, it's what we're one-to-one with some of the European schools. They are now, actually. There was a shift there because of, because of COVID. But it's just different when it comes to things like that. So mm. it's, it's more there's a community for you mm. to support each other rather than um, here's a policy and, and we all yeah. should follow. Picking up on that, Tim, actually, English Schools Foundation in Hong Kong. So I think mm. they have 20 or 20 schools mm. in their district. And 20 or 20. It's <laughs> the same number. <laughs> <laughs> they were, um, so the last two months, they put out a big contingency plan for all of their schools and they put out, they had sessions of basically all of their students from three to 17 years old. There was something online for them. So in, in the case that a teacher was out sick or a class was canceled or perhaps the teachers were out getting vaccinations or whatever was happening in Hong Kong because all the schools were closed, there was another plan, a contingency plan, all online of these, mm. these online classes mm. hosted by outside providers. Oh, I mean, they're a, they're a prime example. If, you, yeah. if you've got 20 schools doing the same thing 20 times from home, it makes sense to bring all that together. And I know a mm. lot of the ESF schools, they actually, their campuses were used. They were going to be used for testing yeah. and things like that. So they were slightly different. But I think just that idea of, of that it can be done is never going right back to what Jason said. That For me, it's those those skills or soft skills, non-curricular mm. skills, I think, uh, or for me personally, I think they're more important than curriculum myself um, mm. to develop, especially in this region. Those skills um, are potentially there's a lot of room for development there. So going all online. But that idea of coming together as a group, I think it's it makes perfect sense and, and, mm. and share the, the, the capacity and the skills that everybody have, because not every teacher feels comfortable and um, developing an online program on Google Sites or mm -hmm. even just the content itself and the resources. Definitely. Thinking John, about that. The point oh, sorry, sorry, James. Yeah, it's your follow-up question, Tim, on that. Are you thinking about, so obviously with your school, and, and actually it's the same to John and Jason, are you looking at um, skills now for incoming teachers and ensuring that they have the capability to teach online or they can flip to a hybrid environment quickly? Is that something now you're looking at? It, it's something that we look at not officially it's not something that we want to say look these that you need these skills we share that we use these tools and we it's an, a, an applicant is at an advantage if they can use those tools it's almost so safe to say that nearly every educator has is mm. in a better position when it comes to using tech than they were two years ago i know it was it is here um with each wave which with each pivot online our teachers are doing a better job. I mean, I don't think people realize how good a job they're, they're doing. Now they're having to create all these electronic resources um, where before they could stand up and present, they can use the whiteboard, they can quickly jot them. Now it's completely changed, I think, um, the whole use of technology in the classroom. Mm. Uh, but mm. to answer your question, it's not something that we are specifically looking for, but it's, it's, it would be wrong not to look for it as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it's that's a great question because I think uh, it's just implied that if you survive COVID, you have some online experience. <laughs> uh, and, you know, what's interesting is I have been interviewing for some positions and I had a couple of candidates that weren't teaching during COVID. And mm -hmm. immediately for me, that was like, mm, you kind of missed out on a big, big pedagogic journey. You know, what does that mean? in your capacity to understand this whole online thing. Not that that meant that they weren't a, a, an adequate or a very good uh, pedagogue, but 
there is something about that shared, you know, that shared experience we've all had, I think is really important when you're recruiting is, you know, have you gone through COVID is almost like a, a badge, not that it's a badge to uh, celebrate, but I think teachers that have gone, and as Tim is saying, the level of professionalism and dedication and the work that people had to go into mm. phenomenal. I mean, just the hours teachers have engaged with. And for a lot of our teachers, it was a big shift, you know, digital literacy was always mm -hmm. something that they engaged with, but not at the amplified level that was required to make it really good. And I think everybody has walked out with stronger skill sets. My question is, how do we keep that going? You know, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, okay, now I can chill. And how do you keep that momentum going where you keep amplifying those skills? That's mm. kind of my question that I'm, you know, huh. asking myself. I'll tell you one thing, John, we, we're really struggling because of uh, teacher saturation, right? That the people are, they have been in a heightened sense of, of, online identity for a long time now. And so to, to move beyond just the survival skills of how do I make this iPad work with this app or whatever, um, it's really interesting to um, talk about even professional development now that's beyond just survival development, right? And so I think that you bring up a good point and it may take a few years for us to actually kind of move out of that phase. So really interesting that you brought that up too. Just want to jump in and introduce Dave Freeman. Um, Dave, sorry, I think we got the old link. Dave's a good friend. I think I don't know if you know you know James very well. Obviously, you know Tim, I believe. I'm not sure if you know John. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Dave. Yeah, hey, John. Dave's out in Taiwan um, and uh, worked in very involved with Morrison for a long time. Now uh, doing some international business. So you were actually invited to the original calls day, but couldn't make it unfortunately. So it's great to finally finally get you on, get your perspective too. Yeah, cheers, guys, and, and sorry for the, the miscue of joining in late. Uh, it, was, it was my fault. I have confused John as well. So, well, you weren't the only one, so sorry about that. I, uh, I added a link in late. How's, how's things in Taiwan, Dave, just generally with COVID and everything? What, um, what's the situation with, I know your kids are at Morrison still. What, what's the situation there? So you, you might you know, know from reading in the newspapers that we're, we, we kind of held off COVID for a, a long time. Really, I mean, it's the advantages of being on an island, you know, and so and then up until recently, there was a few little spikes. But then, um, you know, with Omicron, once it once the local cases started spreading, it's kind of it's they've decided that they're going to let it just slowly, you know, go and try to live with it. And they're they're doing a good job of just managing it, you know, and letting it slowly spread and communicating a lot with these daily meetings with the schools and it's still a bit of a mess you know a lot of the schools are trying to figure out we're, we're two years behind you guys you know you guys have already lived through all this so so in a, in yeah. a way we can we can learn you know we just the, the Taiwanese government just watches what everyone else has done and tries to learn from it but um, you know it's still tricky even with all that information out there so we're right in the yeah, middle of it now. Are the schools open as normal now, like Morrison, for example? What's the situation? Um, so, you know, they, they, they had a 10-day closure because they had a, a family that was exposed. And then, I mean, you know, you got it probably sounds odd to you guys, but it was just one case. But it was and they enough. they closed the whole school. Wow. Of course. Of course. The whole school. 10 days and... Um, they clean the school and, you know, like I said, we're, we're a couple years behind you guys, but, um, but Taipei American school, I think just announced today that they're going completely online because they, you know, the, there's a lot of cases, um, here in Taipei, not, not so many down South in Taichung, um, but you know, it's a virus it'll, it'll get there, you know? And, and so everyone's just trying to figure it out one step at a time. Wow. Is that, is that the same for businesses as well? Like in a company, if one, you get a one, one case, does everyone in the office gets closed or how does that work? Nah, it's, it, they're letting companies decide. Um, a lot of companies have, you know, have, have we, we, we did a, a bout where we worked from home, you know, all over Taiwan. Everybody kind of had to learn how to do that. But they maxed out at 500 cases in Taiwan and they had everyone working from home. So, you know, we have 23 million people here in 500 cases. Everyone work from home. So then um, 
but then this okay that's you know you can come back to work but now everybody's kind of brushing off those skills of you know that we picked up a year ago and companies can choose but you know but i i don't know it's 50 50 50 percent of the people are, are quite worried and you know want to work from home and then 50 percent are like eh, you know should be all right so we'll see we'll see what happens it will be dave it will be all right we've been there mm. <laughs> yeah. What about um, can you visit? Because obviously, I want to be. I want to be. In, I was supposed to be in Taiwan already. You know, is it? Do you think they're going to reduce the quarantine and people can actually visit the country again? I think it's going to happen soon. Um, they just announced today. So, uh, kind of a funny thing when, when the school had the case, it was right as spring break was starting. So they were they were calling all of the kids. And they were saying, you know, my son included and all of them. And says, uh, do you know this kid that got COVID? And the first, the first kid said, yeah, yeah, we're good friends. Okay, yeah. you need to quarantine for 10 days. And then do you guys know the kid? And everyone else said, no, no, no. We don't actually hang out much. I know he's in one of my classes, but oh, okay, good. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, it's not the best system, but. So they, but they, they were making them even up till a few days ago. Everyone that came in contact with someone had to quarantine for ten days, and in you could do it in your home, which is new. They had they had facilities before that. So today they approved. Oh, see, oh, you, have to, you have to go quarantine in a, in a, in a special hotel or whatever. In a hotel, yeah, yeah, and it was pretty costly actually. So, uh, but today they they approved three plus four, which is you can you can quarantine at your home for three days, and then you just need to do four days of self help management, where you keep an eye on yourself. So hopefully the next step is that they'll take the, they had a 14 day quarantine, mm -hmm. then it was 10 days. So the next step hopefully is say, Dan wants to come visit. Let's make him do a three day quarantine. That's, it's a little bit more manageable, right? Then you can get out, yeah. and do some business and, and but yeah. they haven't done that yet. Wow. That's, um, that's hardcore to be honest. I can't even imagine like in one case, they close the whole school down. That's like uh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, so I think most of the schools is going to go to, if that stays the same, like you said, Taipei American School is going fully online. I think more schools are just going to do that, I would imagine. Just get rid of, you know, preempt the one case they're definitely going to get. It. Yeah, yeah. Or they'll change the rules, which they do quite yeah. often. So I'm wow. not sure. Yeah. Well, um, John, you made a good point in the doc about um, well-being. I know this is a subject you've thought about quite a bit, about how has it changed or been amplified over the last two years. Do you want to... Lead off on that yeah, I, it just, it's, you know, I think well-being has always been something that we all agree is important. You know, we all try, and I think all of us who are busy uh, and passionate about what we do is sometimes well-being is not in the forefront, or we think it is, but our body might think differently. It's just interesting how through COVID that really got amplified. And Dan and I had the pleasure of talking mm -hmm. to Dr. Helen Kelly. Uh, we just did a podcast with Create Positive. It just seems that there has been a high level of uh, burnout, which is something that you know, you hear about, but it's for really for me the first time that I know quite a few of my fellow colleagues mm -hmm. that are administrators and leaders in international schools. That seems to have been a theme of, you know, why did it take COVID for us to realize this? And, and so mm -hmm. I, I really don't have any magic answer, but it's just been interesting how important that's come. And you hear a lot of schools now that well-being is one of their strategic ambitions and, you know, there's definitely more and more organizations coming out saying, hey, we have a well-being package. <laughs> uh, so it's just kind of interesting how that now has become far more uh, amplified and far more in the forefront and especially in international schools. And I think, you know, for uh, definitely if I think of the environment that I'm in, there is no doubt the hybrid, the on-off, the online and the back and forth really did take a toll. And the biggest thing, and talking to some friends in Shanghai, you know, there's some people that have had children and they've never seen their grandparents or people have been married mm. and kids have been born and yeah. people have passed away. And yeah. I think that in itself adds a real intense layer, that feeling of disconnectivity with your home. And I think that combined with, you know, high demands and I think teachers mm. Are the most grueling taskmasters to themselves, 
uh, more than anything. So I think that combination has really made people realize and reevaluate, you know, what is this all about? What's the meaning of life, you know, in this mm. context? Tim, you had your hand up. Yeah, no, I put my hand up to when you mentioned about having children that haven't seen grandparents. Um, I think, yeah. what you, again, what you said there, John, it's, I feel for me personally, and I, with colleagues here, it's the unknown at the moment, isn't it? We're, that's what had people on edge here in Hong Kong. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what was going to happen mm. in a month's time, let alone six months' time. We can't plan our summer breaks. What are we doing at Christmas? All these things that we took for granted before, I think then just has our stress level. It changes everything then. Um, mm. where you'd get frustrated at the littlest things and you, and you could start seeing that everywhere. And um, so it's a big, big thing. And this is tech aside. I mean, tech took whatever, it was that idea. Now we need to start looking after each other and looking out for each other. Um, and we started to do it here more than, more than we used to before. Um, if it does on a tech aspect, we used to have unplugged days. Well, now we realize we can't function in an unplugged world. So it's mm. like a, we've renamed it media balance. We need to get that balance right about what we're doing on devices. Are we mm -hmm. able to switch off from our devices when we need to? Is it that kind of thing? That's what we're looking for. And that's with my role that, that I'm trying to support the well-being team or what have you. But it's a big, big thing. Um, and it I think it's so interesting, Tim, that you had unplugged and now it's about media balance. Because I think what happened, a lot of parents, all of us, you know, we became addicted to Netflix, online shopping, <laughs> <Yeah>. online delivery, <laughs> Uber Eats. So is this something that you're working with your parent community and your faculty, this idea? Let's, the fact is the screens are there. We can't get rid of them. So let's maybe have a different disposition than just unplugging. Yeah, I think it's that is, and I I've mentioned this before, um, possibly on one of the conversations we've had, where that I'm not a big fan of a digital citizenship week because it seems to be we focus on it this week and we forget about it for the rest of the year. Yeah. So it's that kind of thing where we're trying to do smaller things, but more often, um, throughout the year then, um, and involve everybody in the community especially if there are these hybrid models these stu um, students are at home the parents need to be aware of this as well um so let alone when it comes we, i mean we're looking at that with digital citizenship and and keeping st students safe online but it's just taken another another angle now where we where we are having to use devices we're, we are we're just look at us now do you know what I mean um but now we need to be a bit more mindful about how we're using devices for the, for the sake. It's kind of, of depressing that we can't, we can't, we can't have device-free days or anything, isn't it? It's like a, it's a sign of like life in 2022. Mm. But even that, Dan, I think we can do it. But the, I, for me, I just feel it's more sustainable and it's, it has more impact if we can try and stagger things out, or we'll, or we, we don't want it to turn into right. The last Friday of February is a device-free day, because we. And then we and we go back to how we were before. So we are trying to look at seeing what has impact and what can actually make a difference. Again, John mentioned there's no there's no right answer. Otherwise, this conversation will be happening. But it's that idea of <laughs> right. How can we reflect on things and and how we can actually look to make make some changes moving forward. Mm. Well, Tim, you're really, and which I think is so true, is you're looking at how can we make this sustainable, this more balanced approach than having one hit wonders, and then we're on for nonstop for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a bit, you know, like, you know, you don't drink for a day, and then you go to the cabinet and empty it every day. So, <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I, I think that's such an important approach is that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, sustainability and that sounds like what you guys are trying to do in your context is mm. to how do we make this sustainable and really nail the behaviors you know those triggers that get us to always be online it's habits isn't it then if we can change habits there's actually practical things as well i mean just as your phone becomes like a ubiquitous device for everything i mean i'm, I'm probably at the ridiculous end of a spectrum like my phone is my car key and it is my key for my office, which is kind of, mm. I actually cannot function without my phone. So I couldn't get into my car and I couldn't get into my office, <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous. Now, I, I started thinking about this afterwards, like, what am I doing? You know, like, I have to have my phone. And when you've got your phone on, yeah. you get your alerts and you get everything. And it's definitely not, not good for mental health. Can well, I say that too, right? So. What's that, sorry? 
Because it's your wallet too, right? For most people, I mean. Yeah, of course, yes, wallet. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but I only pay. I only pay with with the phone now. Apple mm. Pay. I don't. I don't even have my wallet with me. I was just going to say, um, not all screen time is the same, right? And it's not all equal. And I think that's what probably Tim is is mentioning. That's what we're trying to find is a balance. Because like you said, there's things that we have to do to function. <laughs> and then there's things where you're on a concentrated, you know, stare pattern, right? Where you're staring at the screen for, you know, extended periods of time, like in a Zoom call or you know, Google meet call. Um, but yeah, I, I know we have to have that chat as well. So I'm, I'm completely with you. And I live in, in Korea where everything is, I mean, we have 5g free Wi-Fi all over outside everywhere. So it is everything. Right. And so for someone to not have a phone is weird, you know, or to not have a device is weird. And so, um, yeah, it's very, very difficult to change a culture. Interesting. Um, yeah, John, you mentioned also digital literacy and citizenship. I think we've covered a, a bit of this. Uh, you said in the, in the doc uh, how to leverage the positive engagement, albeit often non-negotiable, but how we can build on these skills and dispositions. Anything else? Any other thoughts on that? I, I, yeah, I just think that, you know, how people feel like they put so much effort. It's about how do you continue that, but in a way they don't feel that we're pushing you know, it's a bit what tim alluded to this idea of how do you make it sustainable and balanced long term and what are the behaviors that you have to change because i think they're you know especially with these this whole issues of algorithms and inequity and things like that there's this more and more you know people are becoming more and more uh, not cynical but maybe a bit more cautious about throwing all their whole hat into the digital uh, ecosystem and you know I, I you know whenever like right now on Netflix there's this whole thing uh, on code bias and then you know I think all those things are good questions to have and I think a lot of educators understand that digital literacy and citizenship are important but there's an ethical component that we as schools and as human beings have to consider so yeah I'm not really sure where we are but I think everybody right now is just wants a summer. <laughs> uh, you know, where they can find, hug their grandparents, or go and see their best friend, or be at a beach and not think about masks or anything. I think mm. if the summer could be like that, I think that would be really helpful. You know, John, I, th I think it's surprising how quickly you forget. Like, because the mask, you know, I, I've only had a month without wearing a mask, and I've kind of forgotten about it. I don't even carry my mask with me anymore. Well, you know, it's amazing how quickly that you adapt to the new mm. situation. You know? It's amazing. Uh, I agree. I think I think that's the thing people forget, you know, but it is, uh, you know, getting better. But uh, cool. Uh, yeah, I guess we're almost at the, at the full hour. I, mm. I know you're conscious of the fact you've all got things. Anything else? Jason, sorry, I know you haven't, I haven't brought you in much because I can't see oh. you on the screen. I keep forgetting <laughs> you're here. I'm so, so sorry, uh, man. And I'm sorry my <laughs> video didn't work. It's, I don't know what's going on bragging about the Korean internet and then my computer. Yeah, <laughs> my computer's all laggy. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's fine. I've just enjoyed being part of the conversation. And, you know, I think that it's an important conversation because, uh, you know, it just kind of keeps going. I know Dave is talking about, you know, we've kind of been behind everyone and, and I'm following a lot of friends in China and thinking about, man, you know, to have to start this whole process over again would be exhausting to me. Like uh, we've been in a heightened sense of, of um, urgency for, you know, over two years. And now we're starting to see the end of the, 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 you know, the light at the end. And to think I have to start that over or something like that would be really, really exhausting. I think for me, you know, to, yeah. it's a lot of hopelessness. So I just, my heart goes out to folks in those situations. I think what John and Tim were both saying though, it's like, um, you've got to, you've got to have like, expect the unexpected. Now you have to have a contingency mm. plan to, for whatever, you know, like, like John said, it's not just COVID. It could be refugees. It could be, it could be anything, you know, you've got to have like be ready for strange things to happen. And I think, you know, maybe there was a long period where nothing really happened as much in the world in terms of, you know, for, for us in the West, it didn't have nothing really bad affecting us. And so now I think people have realized that, oh, you know, crazy things do happen. You've got to be, and once you've got a plan, I think it's easier to deal with it as, as it comes. Yeah, Dan, I, I remember talking to my grandmother and, and have, you know, she was saying, oh, I was quite good at basketball. I liked sports or I did this. And 
I said, oh, did you play in high school? And she said, oh, well, you know, you know, the war happened and, you know, they needed us to do this and people got involved in that. Like, it was just a, you know, it, that happened. And, yeah. and I wonder, and then they, you know, and then, and then she turns out to be this very gritty, fantastic woman, you know, that holds the family together. So I always wonder about our kids now going, it's been sad to watch them, you know, these couple years of high school, but they're, they're getting pretty tough. You know, they're getting kind of gritty and they'll say, yeah, well, we'll see well, if we may or may not have the tournament, but you know, like we're going to keep going. And I'm like, wow, I wonder, wonder what this generation will be like. They might be, <laughs> they might contribute at a much higher level. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, thank you very much. Uh, mm. Great, great chat as always. Uh, look forward to, to another one. So <laughs> Thank Goodbye you. to you all. Thanks very much. Take care. Cheers, Bye. Guys. Be well, everybody. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. Bye-bye.